Hi, uh, my name is Megan Barker. I am the Bristol Bay organizer for Trout Unlimited um, based in Anchorage. And Trout Unlimited is a national nonprofit organization dedicated to uh, the conservation of, of cold water fisheries nationwide. But in Alaska, we work in a couple critical areas in Southwest Alaska. We work in traditional uh, Athabascan, Aleutic, and uh, Yupik uh, homelands to um, protect and preserve um, the Bristol Bay fishery from the proposed pebble mine. All right. So today we'll be talking about pebble mine and the controversy surrounding it. But to begin, would you mind explaining what pebble mine is? Sure. My my one sentence description of pebble is it's the proposal to build the largest open pit copper and gold mine that would be in North America, right in the headwaters of the most productive sockeye salmon fishery on the planet, which is in Bristol Bay. So for someone not familiar with the mine, can you describe where it's located? Sure. So the mine as it's currently proposed would be, it's slated for about 20 miles north of, of Lake Iliamna. Again, we're talking Southwest Alaska in the, the headwaters of Bristol Bay. So not in the bay itself, but uh, upstream from some of the most um, productive uh, salmon rivers uh, in Alaska and also on the planet. And what kind of mine will it be or would it be? So it's a it's an open pit mine, which means they the uh, company behind the effort to develop this proposal um, wants to dig a, a massive hole in, in the headwaters and then from that extract uh, fairly low grade copper and gold ore um, that would be processed and then uh, extracted to again get primarily copper and gold but other uh, minerals like molybdenum and uh, a couple other trace elements as well. Could you describe the the landscape or surrounding area? Sure, this is definitely a, a fun thing to do. I think um, for anyone that's ever been to Bristol Bay or um, has heard of it, it's famous because it is truly like the quintessential Alaska wild. I mean, we're talking um, hundreds of miles of, of untouched landscape. We're talking rivers that are, are gin clear, minus the fact that in the summers they run red with with sockeye salmon that flush through these systems and you know everywhere in between it's a mecca for wildlife um massive brown bear populations as well as um, moose and caribou and and uh, many other species of cold water fish that uh, are used by a whole slew of, of different human communities that have come together and sustainably use this resource um, for thousands of years and what communities are nearby? Like the, the towns themselves or the different user groups? Yeah, maybe let's talk about the towns. Okay, sure. So uh, I think when we talk about the, the specific communities that would be closest to the mine site, we're talking about the Iliamna communities. Um, so Iliamna itself, um, Non-Dalton, uh, Igiagig, those are some of the, the um, villages that are closest to, again, what would be built at the open pit. But then other communities in the region that would be heavily impacted by this kind of, imp the, the project itself and, and the associated infrastructure, the, the big hubs of Dillingham and King Salmon, especially for um, commercial fishing and sport fishing, uh, also pose, or are posed um, lots of risks from this project. And those communities that are 
directly nearby. Do you know what their population is? Uh, very small communities, um, very small communities. But, you know, I think overwhelmingly they are opposed to the pebble mine. I think that's what's so unique about this region is that um, while there there is a lot of interest in there's huge interest in, in economic um, growth and, you know, continuing to develop sustainable economies. They're overwhelmingly opposed to Pebble because of the fact that this is a project that poses significant risk that has potential to wipe out uh, a, a food source, a, a huge form of the already existing economic resources in the region. And so it's why a lot of these communities have, have said no um, to the Pebble mine for, for many years. You know, what's interesting is you say that that those communities are opposed to the mine and a lot of the the arguments that I've heard from the people that are pro-Pebble mine are, or they, they say to me in these personal conversations that these people in the communities would be happy to have the mine because that means that they would get work. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a a logical thought, and it's definitely what Pebble has been promising when they go in, and they've been trying to build public support for this project. I mean, the way that they do that is by promising jobs and by by promising um, economic prosperity, which on paper looks really good, but when you look at the Pebble proposal specifically, I mean, what we're talking about is one to 2,000 jobs over a 20-year lifespan of the proposed mine right now. And when you compare that to the fact that the commercial fishing and the recreational fishing industries produce 15,000 jobs every single year and have for for decades and can continue to and can continue to grow, um, those things just don't quite add up. So it's a lot of, um, you know, the the trade-off of of short-term potential gain for for a small group of people um, compared to the long-term viability of these communities and and people who have uh, made a living off of the fishery for a very long time and the fact that those two things are not compatible you know that's interesting it's like um the idea of uh or or this concept of an idea kind of ruling the narrative rather than the reality ruling the narrative right Yep. And I think, you know, another really important thing to consider with Pebble is that basic things that we would expect from a mining company to produce, things like an economic feasibility statement, which would, you know, say exactly how many jobs this would produce and show exactly how this is going to benefit, you know, the the local economy, the, the state economy, and potentially contribute nationally. I mean, those are things that are expected and are fairly standard. And Pebble has um, not produced that yet, even very far along into the permitting process, um, saying that they don't need to and kind of just punting it. But what we know and what um, independent or, uh, you know, mining experts who have worked in the field and have now retired have said is that Pebble, as it's currently proposed, is not economically feasible. They're going to need to go in and expand their project, which means carry out significant a significantly larger mine plan which will have even more so massive impacts to the the natural resources of the region they would need to expand their current mine plan in order to turn a profit so again we point to that over and over again as as 
we're not taking Pebble at their word that this is going to be a huge moneymaker and and huge source of jobs, especially for local people. How often do you find yourself having to kind of bring out or bring up these basic facts to combat this? Uh, what am I trying to get at here? How do we like get back to basics almost? Yeah, or, exactly. Or yeah. What this plan is. How do you yeah, do that? I, it's always been politicized, but just everything that's been happening, especially in the recent past, has really blown that up. And so when you peel the layers of that away, when you, again, just get down to what exactly is being proposed, again, we're talking about a massive mine in the headwaters of the most productive sockeye salmon fishery on the planet. I mean, those kinds of things don't change over time. The the risk that, that pebble brings to this region, those things don't change. Um, and even things like public opposition, Alaskans have been overwhelmingly opposed to this project for well over a decade. And so, you know, a lot of our work is just making sure that elected officials know that and know that these things haven't changed and that we are still uh, so opposed to Pebble Mine and it will never happen here um, with, with support from Alaskans. So you said that some of the most productive fishing is in that area, as well as lots of moose and caribou. How would the mine affect subsistence living in that area? Sure. So I think, I mean, you can look at this this issue a whole slew of different ways. And when you look at, okay, the mine site itself. So we're talking about digging a hole and, and completely disrupting thousands of, of acres of wetlands uh, and, and critical salmon habitat. So we're talking about potential changes to a fishery that is supporting the, the commercial fishery, the, the recreational fishery, and the subsistence fishery that supports the li- livelihoods and the traditions of nearly 8,000 uh, Alaska natives in the region. So that's one major change to, you know, just the, the productivity of of Bristol Bay as a whole and and Bristol Bay as a subsistence fishery. But then when you look at some of the individual components of um, the plan that's been put forward so far, I mean, earlier in this permitting process, part of Pebble's plan was to build a, and use a icebreaking ferry across Lake Iliamna that would have you know gone back and forth multiple times and been incredibly disruptive to the freshwater seals that are in the area that uh, Alaska natives still subsistence harvest. Um, we're also talking about building a massive road corridor that runs adjacent, if not through, uh, significant bear habitat, which also is a form of subsistence. Other things, including the pollution that would come from having to process the, the material on site. We're talking about impacts to air and water quality, which you know, comes out in other forms uh, of impacting the, you know, food sources that are 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 gathered in the region too. There are endless uh, concerns for for subsistence rights um, in in the region, which is a huge component of um, why many of the villages and tribal organizations are opposed to the mine. Have you talked to anybody that live in these villages? Like, have I? Or I mean. Yeah. Have you talked to them about Pebble Mine? Yeah. So, I mean, we 
you know, actively work with organizations um, like United Tribes for Bristol Bay, who represent the different villages and the tribes and, you know, other people. Um, when we say overwhelming opposition, we are not like there are people who's in the villages who do support the mine, um, but it, it's few and far in between. And um, when we we have to look at it as a region and, you know, the vast majority of people that would be impacted by this have said no. So, um, you know, if that's what you're getting at is like, it's not every single person who has said no. The reason I asked that question is because I think a lot of times people who are removed from an issue will more or less kind of supplant their own narrative and put possibly words into the mouths of people who live in that area. Right. And so I always like to ask, like, what is the reality of, you know, this perception within those villages? What are people saying? Yeah, I mean, you don't have to talk to people individually. You can just look at who shows up to the public hearings that have happened over the course of the last 10 years. And um, even, you know, most recently during the comment periods for the draft environmental impact statement and the scoping period that happened over 2018 and 2019 is that residents in these in these villages are showing up time and time again to say very clearly that they are opposed to the pebble mine and they are, you know, their voices are are um, are loud and they are clear and and at this point because of the fact that pebble continues to be an active threat they're not being listened to mm -hmm. what is the argument for pebble mine the argument that they have put forward you know time and time again is that this is a huge this is going to be a huge economic boost for for alaska for um, the region and again we just go back to like Show us an economic feasibility study. Um, the fact that what Pebble was promising in terms of jobs and economic output, it completely uh, will devastate what is already working in Bristol Bay, which what already supports thousands of jobs, over a one and a half billion dollar fish-based economy. Those things, like I said, are, are not compatible. So Pebble likes to tow the money line a lot of the time and what we go back to is that's just not the reality. Another big thing that, um, you know, Pebble has been putting forward prior to a lot of the, the political trouble that they found themselves in recently is that we're going to need copper and gold, um, specifically copper, to move us into this next era, era of clean energy and, and being able to continue to function as a modern society. And we completely do not disagree with that. We absolutely need copper and gold and other elements in order to like talk on the platform that we're talking right now and to drive our cars and to do all the things we want to do. But there's a smart way to go about doing that and, and getting those materials and putting a massive mine in the headwaters of Bristol Bay is not the way to do that. You know, that's interesting. You said that, you know, they're saying things like, and I know you're paraphrasing, uh, you know, not not saying verbatim, but, you know, we're mm -hmm. we're going to need copper and gold to move forward into this new era of clean energy. And in my mind, you know, Alaska is an oil state and that seems to be a a potentially sticky thing to say in a state like Alaska. Yeah. Yeah. You would think so. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think that. Alaskans 
being who we are, which is a state built on oil and gas and just general the extraction industry as a whole. And Alaskans are smart enough to say, again, we're not trying to get rid of all mining. We just want to be smart about it. And we want to make sure that we're not exchanging one resource for another. At the same time, I mean, Pebble is struggling. They're in a really tough place because of the fact that they cannot gain a social license within our state, nonetheless, uh, you know, in our country. And um, their finances, the economics don't add up. So they're at a point where they're saying whatever they need to say in order to prove that their project is something that would be of value, if not to Alaskans, but to energy dependence in, in the United States. Do you know if there's anyone or any organizations out there giving alternatives to Pebble Mine rather than just saying, stop, we don't want this? Um, no. And again, this is where I go back to and why I'm proud to work for gr- for a group like Trout Unlimited. I mean, we work with Kinross Fort Knox up near Fairbanks. Um, you know, there are examples in our state of of mining happening responsibly and happening productively and, you know, in harmony with local communities. And what we continue to find in Bristol Bay is that that just isn't something that is going to happen. And one that's based in science. Um, We had the Bristol Bay watershed assessment, which was produced after years of scientific analysis, uh, twice peer reviewed with with, uh, significant public input that showed that a mine of any size, of any scale in the Bristol Bay region, is in the, the headwaters of Bristol Bay, is incompatible and would have a negative impact on the fishery. And this continues to lend itself as a place where we're not interested in, in a different kind of mine. Um, we're not interested in what Pebble likes to say is a smaller mine. This just doesn't work here. And, and so in this region, fish is what continues to thrive. Can you describe what responsible mining based on science looks like in Alaska? Um, you know, that question, I think, again, differs significantly based on the location of where you are. Um, and there are a lot of different factors that, that feed into that. And what I think that, you know, there is a strong case. We have the processes, you know, in place through the environmental laws in our country that make it so that if a mine plan is suitable to have the least amount of impact to a region, then it will move forward. Um, And that's what our senators, that's what lots of other people who have stood by the permitting process for this project have said is that, look, we have the, the tools in our tool belt, which are like the Clean Water Act and, and, uh, NEPA to say that, you know, this is this mine or this extraction project um, is compatible uh, and will have as small amount of impacts as possible. But what we've seen with Pebble is that it's gone through the process and it is incompatible with, with the natural resources that are already exist in this region, which is a reason why it should not be permitted. And I guess that was kind of an unfair question because I, I totally understand <laughs> that there are there is a lot of diversity in different areas and you have to consider so many different things, but is there possibly a, maybe a mine that you point to that 
that's like this is working this is a this is a is a well thought out mine in alaska i go back to um Fort Knox up by up by Fairbanks again they have shown repeatedly that they are committed to the community that they are um, compatible with the environmental regulatory uh, laws that we have in this country you know they, they have been operating for enough time that that they haven't had any um, significant problems and that they haven't had any significant impacts um, to the local fishery but again like it, it looks so different um, place to place and so, and I think like a, something that people like to point out a lot, what I think is really interesting is, you know, people look to like the Kennecott mine in, in McCarthy and say, you know, this was a huge mine that was incredibly beneficial, but it also did have quite a bit big impact on the, the local landscape. And we just have to remember that these are completely different regions, everything from we're not at Kennecott, they're picking up pieces of, of, of copper and, you know, being able to extract that with their with their hands whereas in bristol bay the pebble deposit is so such a low-grade ore that we're talking significant processes that would have to um you know extract a huge amount of rock in order to get a, a very small amount of, of of copper and gold um other things like you know the resources that are in the kennecott area and in mccarthy are significantly different than the fishery that is in bristol bay so again it just goes back to like we can't make blanket statements and why we don't we don't say we're opposed to all mining we just have to make sure that the places that there are proposals for mining that it's done in in the best way possible if it is possible and here it is just not possible do you know if there are any horror stories that people in alaska mining maybe look to as a worst case scenario yeah so not necessarily in Alaska, but close enough that it, it does raise significant concern would be um, Mount Polly, which is in British Columbia. Uh, and in 2014, one of the dams um, breached there and it spilled. There was a massive spill of, of mining waste into the uh, rivers downstream that had a, a huge impact on um, the, the communities and the fishery as well. And What's concerning, especially there, is that Pebble hired the same company uh, that designed the tailings dam at Mount Polly to develop the architectural plans for the Pebble mine. And so that is a, a recent enough example of a that's a worst case scenario of a tailings dam failure. And, you know, it's a it's recent enough that we look to that and say this is not something that we want to risk. And especially in a place like Bristol Bay, again, when we're talking about the resources that are downstream, but also the fact that we're sitting on the ring of fire, um, significant seismic activity, the risk just continues to compile with, with the fact of the region that we're talking about. What are some of the conversations you and your colleagues have surrounding like this issue? Because it sounds like, you know, I'm actually coming at this, like, I really don't know much about Pebble Mine. And so I think that that is super beneficial to listeners. You know, my own ignorance, if I can look at it like that, is actually like a good thing in some situations because, you know, I'm talking to someone who, you know, your whole life is just enveloped around this issue. Yeah. <laughs> so what kinds of things are you and your colleagues talking about that 
I may not even be thinking about? That's a great question. And I think you're totally right. I mean, this is my entire job and I spend a lot of hours talking with folks, especially Alaskans who have been involved in this issue and who have been speaking up and and continuing to stand up for many years. But there are still so many people that are fairly new to this fight or are had to, you know, take a break and are coming back to it. And I think what what stands out to me is that this is an this is a a non-traditional quote environmental issue. So I don't think that this is just this is an environment versus economy uh, issue. And especially what we've been able to point out is that this is an issue that people from across the political spectrum from across very many different backgrounds can come together and agree on. And I think, especially in this day and age, uh, you know, we're what less than a week, about a week away from, from an election that has, um, you know, so divided, we're so divided at this point, but Pebble and, and the fight for Bristol Bay is one place where people truly are still coming together and show a lot of of unity around. And I think that's special. And that just goes to show how overwhelming both the opposition to Pebble is, but then also just how important that that Alaskans and many others across the country um, who are looking at this region as a a very special place worth um, protecting from, from a risky and incomplete plan. And so through that, it really is something that we can look to as a, a place of unity and a place to come together. So earlier you said that Pebble Mine has a 20-year lifespan. For how many years would Pebble Mine provide an economic profit to the state of Alaska? Well, again, we're not really sure because Pebble has yet to produce an economic feasibility study. And Mm. again, that would be something that would shed better light on on, um, the economic reality that that Pebble is bound to bring um, or not bring to the state of Alaska. I do think it's it's interesting though, and it's what was revealed in the Pebble tapes, which which we can get into that if you'd like, Um, but something that a lot of people paid attention to and was really hot news across the state just a a few weeks ago was that, you know, Pebble put forward a 20-year mine plan to federal regulators and Congress and Alaskans, but to investors, they're going and they're talking about developing a 200-year-long mine plan, calling it a multi-generational mine that would go on for for much longer and also carry much greater impact to the the natural resources and the surrounding communities. And so, um, again, not only do we want to see an economic feasibility study for for a 20-year mine plan since that's what's technically under review by the army corps of engineers but we want to know exactly what the impacts of including the economic impacts would be if there was a 200 year long mine too Mm -hmm. so you brought up the pebble mine tapes for someone not familiar with this incident how would you describe the nature of these tapes sure so Let's see. Um, in October, there was a, a a nonprofit organization called the Environmental Investigative Investigation Agency, and they their investigators went undercover, posing as potential um, foreign investors in the Pebble project, and had a series of meetings with the CEOs of the Pebble Limited Partnership and their parent company, Northern Dynasty Minerals, and 
they recorded those those tapes and then released them. And what those tapes uncovered were there's a series of 12 of them and they uncovered damning information about the true intentions of the pebble mine, as well as the um, political collusion that's been happening behind the scenes that has pushed this project forward despite science that doesn't support it and and like what we've been talking about overwhelming public opposition and so i think the two biggest takeaways that we're seeing from those tapes were one that that pebble is planning to build a, a mine that would last significantly longer than um, what has been proposed and then to the fact that they're using support from the governor uh, and they like to think that um, other elected officials are are in the bag as far as support, which was all information that we've seen before, but the way that it was packaged and presented just goes to show that um, this is not a company that can be trusted and is that is being truthful even in the final stages of the permitting process. Do you think that that has affected public perception of the mine at all? I think it's just continued to make them, uh, uh, make Pebble a project that is so unwanted. I mean, again, when we talk about public opposition statewide, it sat around 60% of Alaskans opposed to this project. Um, and then in the region, about 80% uh, of residents are opposed to the project. And again, this just kind of reiterates what we already knew that, that Pebble is not truthful in what their intentions are uh, for this mine. And then also that um, they just are, are not in a place that they're going to receive the social license to operate or that they're going to receive the political support that they need in order to, to move forward. So did it did it move new people into a, a, a different place? I don't think so. I think it just reiterated what Alaskans have known, which is Pebble is not the company to develop a mine here. What's interesting about this issue is that it has transcended Alaska. You see people all over the states with, you know, either pro Pebble Mine or um, against Pebble Mine stickers. Do you know how people outside of Alaska, in general, feel about Pebble? Yeah. So I think one that the opposition that extends past Alaska comes out because the Bristol Bay fishery, while it is such a huge resource to our state is that the fishery itself is a huge resource to our country um, and even globally as well. I mean, when we're talking about 50% of the entire sockeye salmon um, population on the planet comes from Bristol Bay alone. I mean, that's huge. And with that, with with a, a massive commercial fishery comes the fact that we're putting food on, on people's tables um, everywhere you know, outside of the United States as well. And mm-hmm. so I think from there, there, there's a big draw, but also just there, there's a huge value. And then I think this is a, a great place where, and especially from Trout Unlimited, from our perspective of working with recreational anglers is that Bristol Bay is still one of the, the top tier bucket list destinations for recreational anglers, but also for people who want to see public lands like Lake Clark National Park and Katmai National Park and see the most prolific concentration of, of brown bears, uh, those places don't exist everywhere. And so the potential of one, being able to come and visit 
and, and have that that truly wild Alaska experience is definitely wrapped up in Bristol Bay. It's what you get in Bristol Bay, but it's also what's threatened by proposals like Pebble. So I think that there's collectively a, a huge desire for our country to say, you know, there are certain places that should be left off limits. And, and Bristol Bay is certainly one of those places. I asked a question earlier about what you and your colleagues talk about when it's just, you know, all of you kind of sitting around. Do you and your colleagues ever think about what will happen if this mine goes through? Like the the reality of it and possibly what your job looks like, what those individual economies look like, what the fish look like, those things. Yeah, you know, I think we're we're perhaps a more positive group and rather than thinking about what would be lost if Pebble were to go through, um, because we hold strong in that we will not give up. And the other organizations that work on this this issue, as well as the Alaskans who have set up, who have stood up and said time and time again that they will not stand for uh, for a mine in Bristol Bay. You know, we've we've all come to this point where we're not thinking like that. Um, but instead, what we do think about is what can Bristol Bay look like if Pebble is not this looming threat that continues to sit and, and hang on our shoulders. And so, you know, what that looks like is we can talk about long term protections for a fishery so that the people that have been using and have been sustainably using this resource for, for generations, that's the subsistence fishery, that's the commercial fishery, that's the recreational fishery. How can those things be protected and continue to be supported so that they can continue to grow and continue to thrive? So those are more of the conversations that we like to have and that we look forward to working towards once we can get Pebble, you know, out of the way and, and killed for good. And I guess I didn't mean the question as, you know, you're a negative group, but as far as, <laughs> <laughs> as far as, you know, how would you and other Alaskans who oppose the mine, how would you continue if the mine goes forward? So at this point, the mine going forward, I mean, it's hard to think about because we're talking about not only, it's not just like the loss of, of the, the environment, it's loss of a people, of a culture and, and our partners at United Tribes of Bristol Bay can speak to this so much better and and um, more eloquently than I can. But, you know, it's not just a, a place um, that we want to mark off. This is a place that people are connected to, um, that that people have taken care of. And if Pebble were to go through, it would not just be the end of the fishery. It would be the end of the heart of, of Southwest Alaska. And um, I, that would definitely have impacts that would, you know, spread much larger than not only our state, but would extend into our, our national um, community as well. Okay, so let's, let's move beyond hypothetical. What are some of the recent steps being taken? To, to stop the mine or to move it forward? How about we, we talk about to stop the mine and okay. then move forward next? Okay, so I think it's important to, to kind of give a little bit of context for how we got here. So 
I, I've been talking a little bit about this permitting process and for Pebble in order to, to move forward to potentially become a reality in this region, they would have to acquire um, key federal a key federal permit, which is the Clean Water Act permit. And like I said, it's a federal permit. Uh, they have the agency that will issue that permit, basically giving them the green light or the red light to dig in Bristol Bay is the Army Corps of Engineers. And Pebble officially filed to obtain or um, to, to be granted this permit back in December of 2017. And so over the course of the last three years, the Army Corps of Engineers has carried out a process to evaluate a mine plan, which is what Pebble submitted, and to take into account uh, the science and the public opinion. Uh, and then ultimately they will make a decision on if Pebble is going to be, like I said, granted this permit or not. And so over the course of the last um, two years, we've gone through um, draft and a draft environmental impact statement. We've gone through scoping period. Uh, we've gone through, like I, I had mentioned earlier, various uh, public comment periods and opportunities to give testimony. Uh, and so right now where we are sitting is that the Army Corps of Engineers has said that the current Pebble proposal will not receive its permit. However, uh, well, they said that because the the final environmental impact statement showed that there would be um, significant impacts to the fishery and the wetland resources in the region. And so the stipulation with that was that Pebble had 90 days to go back and resubmit a, a new mitigation plan, which is basically how they are going to make up for the damage that they will cause to the region. The Army Corps said, you're mitigation plan isn't good enough, go back, make a new one and we'll reconsider. And so that's where we're sitting right now is we're waiting for Pebble to come up with this new mitigation plan. And so from there, um, it, it will, we really can't say what, what is gonna come forward except for the fact that coming up with a new mitigation plan is go going to be very challenging for, for Pebble to do um, simply because you can't mitigate a pristine area. You know, there's no, there's nothing to make better to offset the impacts that they would have because Bristol Bay is so pristine. So right now, as we wait, we know that we are waiting for a plan that will likely, that will still falter when it comes to being able to adequately make up for the impacts that they will have on the region. So, so that's how the mind moves forward. So what do you hope people take away from this conversation? I hope that people take away from this conversation that there is so much power in showing up and continuing to show up and be loud and be vocal and say what's right for, for our community and to make sure that people who are in positions of power know exactly where we stand. And that has been the case with Bristol Bay time and time again, is that people are speaking up. They're saying that we do not want this mine in this place. And up to this point, elected officials haven't done things to help us. And now that we are at a point where we are any day away from, from knowing if Pebble is going to get this most important federal permit, looking like they won't get it because Alaskans and because supporters of Bristol Bay across our country have spoken up and, and said no time and time again. And 
as an organizer, someone who, you know, is, is connecting with these different communities and trying to drive our voices for for good and for, for collective change, there is power when when you sign a petition. There is power when you submit a comment. And I hope that Bristol Bay and the future that we get to create for Bristol Bay um, that does not involve Pebble, I hope that's one that people continue to be proud of and engaged in because it's only been possible because of the fact that we've been loud and vocal against this mine. All right, that's great. That does it for my questions. Do you have anything else you'd like to add? Just the other thing, especially with this, is people always want to know what comes next and what can I do to help or, you know, how do I stay plugged in and um, in touch? And one, um, just know that we're either going to see a mitigation plan from Pebble or um, the Army Corps is going to deny this permit or Pebble could potentially walk away. And with whatever happens, it's so important that we know that our work is not done for this place. Um, we Our work is not done until we have long-term upfront protections for Bristol Bay so that Pebble or any other mining company in the future cannot rise from the dead again like it has done in the past. And so I encourage folks to stay plugged in on social media, following Save Bristol Bay on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter, um, connecting with us via email. Um, our website, savebristolbay.org, is a great place to go for more resources and to get a full picture there. For more information about how you can support local grassroots journalism, go to www.patreon.com slash crude magazine. Thanks to Trina Duber, Seward Brewing Company, The Grind Coffee Shop in Juneau, Derek Adolph, Blue and Gold Board Shop, Sharon Liska, Alaska Surf Adventure, Aquila Space, and Northern Knives for their support at the company man level. This conversation was written, hosted, and produced by me, Cody Liska, for Crude Magazine. Music was produced by Alcoda Beats. <laughs>